I hope you enjoyed that song that we just sang, because that's the passage we're going to be in this morning, 23rd Psalm. So if you would take your Bible and turn over to that precious passage of Scripture, if you would please, and join me in standing, we'll read uh, the 23rd Psalm together and then get into the message today. Psalm 23, verse number 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage of scripture and how it's blessed many a soul and many a heart over the course of history. Lord, although it's familiar, I pray that today the truths would be made new again. May they be applied to our lives in the here and now. May you help us this week as we go through life to remember the words that we just read. May we apply the truths to the situations we face throughout our life. Pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us, convict us, meet our needs today as only you can from the preaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, the 23rd Psalm is without a doubt the most beloved and familiar passage of Scripture in all of the Word of God. There's been a lot written about this short chapter throughout history. A couple uh, descriptions that I would like to read to you that some have uh, more eloquently described than I could ever. One was uh, Henry Ward Beecher. He said this, The 23rd Psalm is the nightingale of the Psalms. It is small, of a homely feather, singing shyly out of obscurity, but oh, It has filled the air of the whole world with melodious joy, greater than the heart can conceive. Blessed be the day on which that psalm was born. What would you say of a pilgrim commissioned of God to travel up and down the earth singing a strange melody, which, when one heard, caused him to forget whatever sorrows he had? And so the singing angel goes on his way through all lands, singing in the language of every nation driving away trouble by the pulses of the air which his tongue moves with divine power. Behold such a one. Psalm 23 is a pilgrim God has sent to speak in every language on the globe. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands on the seashore. It has comforted the noble host of the poor. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the heart 
of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows in their pinching griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his change, chains, and like Peter's angel, led him forth in imagination and sung him back to his home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master and consoled those whom, dying, he left behind mourning. Not so much that he was gone as because they were left behind and could not go too. Nor it's work done. It will go singing to your children and my children, to their children, through all generations of time. Nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then it shall fly back to the bosom of God whence it was issued and sound on, mingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which make heaven musical forever. The 23rd Psalm is a special passage of Scripture. Um, why is the 23rd Psalm so precious? Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to mention the position of the Psalm is special. Notice that it's not the 21st Psalm, it's the 23rd Psalm. And uh, C.H. Spurgeon said this about the position of the psalm. He said, It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. If you go back to Psalm 22, you find uh, a lot of words that were repeated on the cross of Calvary. In verse number 1, the psalm begins with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that, of course, was repeated by none other than the Lord Jesus Himself. It was He was hanging there, Uh, on the old rugged cross. And then in, uh, let's see, in verse number uh, 6, I am a worm and no man, I reproach the people and despise the people. Uh, They all that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusts on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing He delighted in him. And remember we talked about, uh, or Jesus was scorned and, and mocked as He hung there on the cross and and Psalm 22 is a reference to Jesus there hanging on the cross. It is only after we read, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that we can come to the Lord as my shepherd. We must by experience know the value of the blood shedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. In other words, the Lord cannot be my shepherd until the shepherd is my Lord. And the same is true for you. Uh, The Lord cannot be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Until you've experienced Psalm 22 for you and you've experienced the redemption that only comes from faith in Jesus Christ can you be able to really enjoy the fullness of Psalm 23. But why? Why is the 23rd Psalm so precious to people? Well, in these six short verses, we see at least six important aspects of our Lord. Characteristics of our God that need to be applied to our lives. And let's dive into these precious, precious verses. Psalm 23 and verse number 1. We find, number 1, the Lord's position. The Lord's position. In verse number 1, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, every part of this five-word phrase is extremely significant. The 
first two words says, the Lord. The Lord. A reference to Jehovah God. Remember in John chapter 10, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd? No doubt, when the Jewish minds and Jewish people heard when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, their minds raced back to Psalm 23 when they thought, no, I thought Jehovah was the shepherd. Yes, he is. And Jesus is Jehovah God. A reference to Jesus' deity. The fact that he wasn't just man, but that he is also 100% God. The Lord is my shepherd. Notice the next little word there, is. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, a confidence. The Lord might be my shepherd. No. The Lord hopefully will someday be my shepherd. No. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's a reference to the fact that it's present time. He is right now in my life, my shepherd. He is actively guiding and directing my life. He is not on vacation. He is not on a trip somewhere. No, He is my shepherd right now. Present tense. I am now currently at this very moment under His watchful care. And so are you if you're one of His. This next word, my. Oh, how precious this word is. The Lord is my shepherd. As David pens this, uh, he's not so concerned with everyone else in this world. He's thinking, I'm so thankful that the Lord is personal and that he is my shepherd. Not the shepherd of the whole world necessarily, but he cares for me. He is my shepherd. Can I just say this? Not everyone can say the Lord is my shepherd. Only those who believe on Christ can say the Lord is my shepherd. A lot of unsaved people read this verse and say, oh, this is so wonderful, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not your shepherd unless you're one of his sheep. You see, this indicates that the Lord is my shepherd. David is insinuating here that he is one of the sheep. Now, sheep are not a wild animal. They're an animal of property. They're an animal that belongs to someone. I'm thankful this morning that as one of God's sheep, I belong to Him. Song of Solomon, chapter 2 and verse number 16, My beloved is mine, and I am my beloved's. He belongs to me, and I belong to Him. He is my shepherd. Can you say that He is your shepherd? The Lord's position. Notice the next word. The word is shepherd. What a beautiful word. He, that The word shepherd insinuates provider, director, and guide. Someone who provides for someone... For the sheep, someone who directs the sheep, someone who guides the sheep. And as I go through life, I need the shepherd guiding me, providing for me, directing me. He is my shepherd. Now let me just say this also. 
Notice the Bible says here, the Lord is my shepherd. It does not say, I am the Lord's shepherd. Do you catch the difference? You see, He is the shepherd and I am the sheep, not the other way around. I have no business telling Him what to do. He's the the shepherd and I'm just a sheep. I need His direction. I need His guidance. How many Christians live their lives as if I am the shepherd and the Lord is the sheep. Lord, this is what we're going to do today and this is how we're going to do it and this is when we're going to do it. And you better follow uh, because I know best. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 8, But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. We are the clay, and Thou our potter, and we are the work of Thy hand. Too often in our Christian lives, we get that out of whack, and we get that reversed. Where, Lord, You're the one that uh, we want to form into our image. And God says, No, I want to form you into the image of our dear Son. My, my precious son. So the Lord is my shepherd. He is in the position of the shepherd. Not you and not me. He desires to be the shepherd of your life. But only does he desire to be the shepherd of your life. To guide you and direct you. Provide for you. He deserves to be the shepherd of your life. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 10. And this we find the other passages of Scripture that in a parallel, a New Testament parallel to the Lord is my shepherd. John chapter 10, this is when he makes the wonderful declaration Jesus does that he is the good shepherd. Verse number 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him that porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Verse number 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Oh, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come. They might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. And here it is, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, fleeth. Wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He deserves to be the shepherd of your life. Why? Because... He loves us. Why? Because He gave His life for me. Verse number 10, again, He came that we might have life. And then verse 11, the good shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. And then again, um, in verse number 15, um, I lay down my life 
for the sheep. He knows me, and he wants what's best for me. And can I just say this? He really does know what's best for you. Even if it's not comfortable, even if it's not pleasant, he still knows what's best for us, and so we need to trust him. So let me ask you this question. Are you allowing the Lord to truly be the shepherd of your life? Or do you act like the shepherd and hope he follows your guidance and leadership? The Lord's position, he is the shepherd. And I'm thankful this morning that the Lord is my shepherd. I hope he's your shepherd as well. So we see, first of all, the Lord's position. But secondly, uh, notice with me the Lord's provision. The Lord's provision in verse number two. I'm sorry, verse number one. Last second part of that verse. I shall not want. Four easy words to read, difficult words to live. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. And then verse 2, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The Lord has provided so much for us. I can't help but think of the story of Abraham and Isaac when God did tempt Abraham and told him to sacrifice his most precious and prized possession, his son Isaac, on Mount Moriah. As they got to the top of that mountain, Isaac laid down on that altar and Abraham lifted his hand with the knife in hand, ready to sacrifice his son, ready to give his most prized possession to the Lord. The Lord provided something. He said, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And he looked and saw there was a ram caught in the thicket. And they took that ram and they sacrificed that. Later, they built an altar to the Lord and called his name Jehovah Jireh on that mountain. And that basically means the Lord provides. It was at the right timing. It was the right way. And it was the right provision. And as we go through our life, there's going to be times where we're going to think, Lord, I've got to handle this myself. Lord, I've got to fix this because it's not working out. And we're not waiting for his timing and we're not waiting for the right answer and we're not waiting for the right way. We're not waiting for his provision. I'm thankful that he does provide and that he is Jehovah Jireh. Can I just throw this out there as a side note? He will provide for all of my needs, not all of my greeds. A lot of times we have greeds and we're going, Hey, I thought you are supposed to provide that, Lord. And He's the shepherd and He knows what's best. And He knows that we don't need those things, so He doesn't give them. He will provide for all my needs and all my greeds. Well, because He has provided all of my needs... I don't need to want. I don't need to want anything. And I know 
we casually say, oh, I'd like to have this, I want that, I want that. But are we truly content in our life to where the Lord is my shepherd and that's enough and I don't need to want anything? He has provided all of my needs. I shall not want. Or have you been and have I been guilty of wanting? That leads me to do two things. The Lord's provision should lead me to, number one, thank Him. To thank Him. Psalm 100 and verse 4, Enter His gate with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Because He has provided so much for us, especially a way of salvation and all of our physical needs here on earth, it should propel us to thank Him and to live a life of thanksgiving. We talked a little bit about that last week. But it should also lead us to trust Him. It should lead us to trust Him. Since He has given so much to us, He is worthy of our trust. If He has taken care of me today, why wouldn't He take care of me tomorrow? Verse 2 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. As a shepherd would take those sheep across the land there in Israel, he would find some green pastures where he could feed his sheep. We need to be fed. And this is a reference to the, ta- the fact that we should be feeding and feasting upon his word every day, where we're stopping the activity and consuming his word. Be still and know that I am God. And then the next part says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. Um, He's going to lead us beside those waters. We're going to have to actually have some access or um, activity. He's leading me. I've got to get up and start moving. And uh, we need those still waters of the Holy Spirit to uh, give us the power to be able to accomplish His work. And so as He leads us, we need to be leadable. We need to be leadable. Psalm 32 in verse number 8 says, God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Those young men and young, young people who are wondering what God wants you to do with your life. God is going to instruct you and teach you in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And here's the challenge to all of us. Number nine, verse number nine. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Have you ever tried to pull a horse that was a stubborn horse or stubborn mule? Come on, Betsy! And they won't move. Don't be like that when it comes to the will of God. Don't be like that as He tries to lead us and guide us. Be leadable. Be teachable. Allow Him to lead you. Be willing to follow Him. He deserves your trust and deserves your your leadability. So, number one, we see here in verse number one, the Lord's position. The Lord is my shepherd. 
We see the Lord's provision. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He's provided for all of my needs. Therefore, I shall not want. Number three, though, we see the Lord's paths. The Lord's paths. In verse number three, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God has a path for you. God has a path for me. And they're going to be a little different. But I'll tell you that something that's going to be the same about the paths is they are going to be of righteousness. They're paths of righteousness. You see, God desires that we would live a holy and a separated life, a righteous life. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Be holy, for I am holy. God desires that we would live a holy life. Why? So people can be impressed with your spirituality and say, well, that person is super righteous. No. So that he would get the glory. That's why. The verse says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God desires that we would live a holy life so that he would receive the glory, so that he would receive the honor, so that his name would be lifted up and magnified. That's why we live a life that would honor the Lord. The Lord's paths. Let's talk about the paths of the Lord. What are these paths like? Well, the paths of the Lord are the path of life. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Few there be that find it. So the path of the Lord is the path of life. The path of the Lord is the path of life in Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In Proverbs 12 and 28, verse 28, In the way of righteousness is life, and the pathway thereof there is no death. So the paths of the Lord is a path of life. It is also the path of mercy and truth. Psalm 25 and verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. Next, this path is enlightened by the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So as you're going through your life, you're not going to see the whole path. I would have never pictured me being in Helena, Montana 10 years ago. But as I have been in the Word of God, the Lord has made it clear. He has shined the light and said, Whoa, I need to take a big step from California to Helena, Montana. That is a big step. Are you sure, Lord? Okay, here I go. Boom. Lord would have let me know that 10 years ago. I don't know that when I got to that point, I would have made that jump. But I did. And the Lord acts as a flashlight as we walk through our life. He's not going to reveal the whole... You're not going to be able to see, like, looking down from Montana, you can basically see the entire street. Um, from way up in North Valley all the way to the capital almost. 
you can kind of see that whole road. Well, that's not the way it works in life. You can't see the whole road. You can just see the next step. So don't worry about seeing the whole picture. Just worry about what you're supposed to, the next step right here. And let the Word of God be your flashlight. Let the Word of God be the one that guides and directs you as you walk through this path. So this path is enlightened by the Word of God. It's also, this path requires complete trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Stop trying to figure it out. I'm thinking you know it all. Trust in Him with all your heart. Don't lean on to your own understanding because I guarantee this, your understanding and my understanding is faulty. And when you lean on it, it's going to give way. Lean on the Lord. He's not going to give way. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So the path requires complete trust in Him. So stay on the right path. I'm grateful for the fact that He does lead us and guide us on this path. And, and in, in the journey, He restores our soul, and I'm so thankful that He does. Number four, not only do we see the Lord's position, the Lord's provision, the Lord's paths, but number four, the Lord's presence. And I love this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Spurgeon wrote this regarding this verse, and it was so good, I'm just going to read it. This unspeakably delightful verse has been sung on many a dying bed and has helped to make the dark valley bright times out of mind. Every word in it has a wealth of meaning. Yea, though I walk. As if the believer did not quicken his pace when he came to die, but still calmly walked with God. To walk indicates the steady advance of a soul which knows its road, knows its end, and resolves to follow the path. Feels quite safe and is therefore perfectly calm and composed. The dying saint is not in a flurry. He does not run as though he were alarmed, nor stand still as though he would not go no further. He is not confounded nor ashamed, and therefore keeps to his old pace. Observe that it is not walking in the valley. And I like this thought, but through the valley. We go through the dark tunnel of death and emerge into the light of immortality. We do not die, but we sleep to wake in glory. Death is not the house, but the porch. Not the goal, but the passage to it. The dying article is called a valley. The storm breaks on the mountain, but the valley is the place of quietude. And thus, full often, the last days of the Christian are the most peaceful of his whole career. The mountain is bleak and bare, but the valley is rich with golden sheaves. And many a saint has reaped more joy and knowledge when he came to die than he ever knew while he lived. And then, it is not the valley of death. It is the valley of the shadow of death. There's a big difference. For death in its substance has been totally removed, and only the shadow of it remains. Someone has once said, 
that where there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere. And so there is. Death stands by the side of the highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon him throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is a light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. A shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us, therefore, not be afraid. Notice the psalmist when he said, I will fear no evil. He does not say there shall not be any evil. He had got beyond even that high assurance and and knew that Jesus had put all evil away. But I will fear no evil as if even his fears, those shadows of evil were gone forever. The worst evils of life are those which do not exist except in our imagination. If we had no troubles but real troubles, we should not have a tenth part of our present sorrows. We feel a thousand deaths in fearing one, but the psalmist was cured of the disease of fearing. I will fear no evil, not even the evil one himself. I will not dread the last enemy. I will not look upon him as a conquered foe, an enemy to be destroyed. Why? For thou art with me. This is the joy of the Christian. Thou art with me. The little child that out at sea in the storm is not frightened like all the other passengers on board. The vessel, it sleeps in its mother's bosom. It is enough for, for it that its mother is with it. And it should be enough for the believer to know that Christ is with him. Thou art with me. I have in having thee all that I can crave. I have perfect comfort and absolute security for Thou art with me. What a great description of this verse. I like when it says here, Thou art with me. Um, it helps me remember when Jesus came to this earth. One of the names they were going to call him was Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm thankful that God is with us and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So no matter what you're going through in life, know the fact that He is with us. And His presence should give us great comfort as we go through this life. When we go through difficult times, know that you're not having to go through them alone. Remember when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat? They were all scared because of the huge storm that was brewing. All the while, Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat. He was with them. And He could provide that peace and that hope. It also um, should give us great conviction knowing that He is with us. Knowing that He's with us. uh, Even when you think no one else is with you. That should give us some great accountability to live a life that would honor the Lord. Psalm 139, I'll read this. Psalm 139. Verse 7, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Oh, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth 
as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Can't hide from the presence of God. Jonah tried to flee from the presence of God. How did that go for him? The Lord's presence, He's always there. Great comfort, and yet a great conviction. <coughs> Number five. So we see the Lord's position. The Lord is my shepherd. We see the Lord's provision, I shall not want. We see the Lord's paths. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We see the Lord's presence, for Thou art with me. And we see the Lord's peace in verse number 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You see, in the midst of the storms, He gives peace. I mean, can you imagine this, this, this afternoon that... Um, <clears throat> You have your worst enemy is coming to see you and, 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 and bangs on the door and, and, and barges in. And you're sitting there at your dining room table enjoying some cheese and crackers and a cup of tea. You're just sitting there and you know that your enemy is about to destroy you. And you have the peace knowing that nothing's going to happen to you unless he sees fit. That's the type of peace that God wants to give us. That's what he says here, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I'm able to have peace in spite of the fact that people are against me, or maybe circumstances are against me. I can have peace because he is the great shepherd. And then it says, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I remember as a young man reading this and memorizing this, I thought it was so funny that the cup was overflowing. And that's going to create a mess. And then I got to understand the meaning that the Lord's blessings in our lives and the peace that He gives here is overflowing. It's abundant. He came to give life and life more abundant. More than we need. Oh, the unsaved people, they never have enough, do they? They always need more. More followers on Twitter. More likes. More money. More fame. More, more, more. Oh, but the believer can enjoy an abundance of the peace of God that an unbeliever will never understand. He gives abundantly. David would know. David had experienced some enemies in his life. Oh, King Saul tried to kill him. And yet David still had peace. David still had peace of God in his life. Number six. I like this. The psalm, the psalm ends with the Lord's promise. The Lord's promise in verse number 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I like how it starts off with the word surely. It doesn't say hopefully. It doesn't say maybe. He said surely. I'm confident that 
goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Well, what is goodness? Goodness supplies our needs. And I'm thankful that the Lord does supply our needs because He is good. Psalm 105 and verse, or 100 and verse 5, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. So here we see the goodness of God and His mercy all in one verse. So goodness is the fact that God supplies our needs and mercy is the fact that God blots out our sin and doesn't give us what we deserve. Because if we got what we deserve, none of us would be here this morning. We would all have, we would all be in hell at the moment. Because of His mercy is great. We can enjoy the blessings of God. <clears throat> and I like what it says here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, all the good days of my life? No, all the days of my life. The days where I'm feeling it, the days when I'm not. The good days, the bad days, and every day in between goodness and mercy will follow me. And as a result, one day I will spend eternity in the house of the Lord forever. I am looking forward to that day of graduation. We had a graduation yesterday that we celebrated. Well, one day all of us will graduate to a wonderful place called heaven. I'm looking forward to that day. This psalm is filled with encouragement, comfort, peace, challenges, things that will help us as we go through our life. Six short verses. Let's uh, read it together, everybody out loud this morning as we end this message, and then we'll have prayer. Psalm 23, let's read it together. Ready, begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for putting this passage of Scripture in your word. Father, I pray that we would not just know it and enjoy hearing about it, May we live it out. May we apply it to our lives. Uh, may you use it even this week as we face things that we don't even know about yet. May you bring this passage to mind as we deal with the situations that come up. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to allow you to be the shepherd of our life. Allow you to be in control. Allow you to lead us and guide us. And Lord, help us not to get covetous. Help us to fight against that and to be content with such things as we have. Lord, I pray that we would 
follow the paths that you lead us. And that you would give us peace in the midst of chaos. And that, Lord, you would help us to remember your presence as we go through difficult times. And maybe even as we're tempted to sin, help us to remember your presence. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you've promised that goodness and mercy would follow us. And that one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We look forward to that day, but until then, help us to be faithful to you. And to be good sheep. To stay close to the shepherd. To stay away from the wolves and the temptations that are away from the shepherd. We love you, Lord, and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.